Dear God, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these believers who uh, value your church and who come and, and share life together. Um, just be with Michael as he uh, brings the word to us and let it sink deep into our hearts. Um, let it plant or water the seed that's already there so that uh, we grow and grow strong, produce good fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. And again, we want to welcome you to Christ Community Church this morning. Thank you for uh, choosing to spend this hour worshiping with us. We're, as you may have realized, we're singing a few less songs than we normally do. We're going to do something else here in a little while. A little different. And as well, at the end, um, we're going to have a little family meeting after church this morning. So if you have been uh, an active uh, attender for 90 days and are at least 16 years of age, then stay afterwards. We're going to have a little conversation about uh, building and, uh, and then talk about that some. We are in the middle of a series on the book of Colossians this morning. And this morning we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. If you want to turn there to start, we'll get there in just a minute. But I want you to imagine something for me first. I want you to imagine that you are having dinner with Jesus. Uh, nothing fancy, just uh, a little meat, some bread, some herbs to dip it in wine. And during that dinner, Christ makes some rather amazing promises to you. Promises of a future hope, promises of guidance, promises of protection, promises of the Father's love for you. Promises of returning one day to get you to be with Him forever. And then imagine when that dinner is over, He says, okay, we're going to have a little prayer meeting. And, and you're in, in one corner and He says, I'm just going to go to this corner over here and, and pray while you stay over there. I don't know about you, but my thought was, or my thought is, is that I would be too excited and too wound up from having dinner with the Son of God to, to think about much else. But maybe if I did, I'd, I'd want to make sure that I was listening to what Jesus was praying. I'd want to hear His prayer. I'd want to make sure that that this guy who'd promised me all these things, what's he actually saying to the Father? You know the story that I'm talking about, and yet those disciples, especially Peter, James, and John, those three that kind of were those special ones that got to go places the other ones didn't, um, maybe it just been a long day. I know that. We've moved recently. I know what long days are like. I'm really tired at the end, and... You close your eyes for a second and you, you're going to drift off. I don't want to be too hard on them, but they fell asleep. 
Apparently they heard enough, heard a couple of words. They heard a little bit of what he prayed because they recorded it for us, but we don't get much else of what he prayed. Father, this cup can be taken from me, but not my will, but yours. Then they fall off. And in Matthew chapter 26, he, he comes back and he says, he wakes them up and he says, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? He's amazed that they couldn't stay awake and pray for an hour. When I read through that this week, as I've been reading through the Gospels the last couple of weeks, just thinking about Easter, that struck me that sometimes I have a hard time concentrating for 10, 15 minutes. Sometimes less than that when I pray. An hour. He expected them to stay awake. So men, could you not keep watch with me for one hour? He says, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I find it interesting that, that Jesus, when he is worried about their temptation that he doesn't say, why don't you all get in a little group and, and talk about what your temptations are and, and help each other come up with an action plan. He says they need to pray about it. Because, see, Jesus knows that the battle really starts up here. Right? He understands that it's not so much what we do that keeps us in and out of trouble. It's our thoughts, what goes through our minds. And he, he said that their greatest need was prayer, not action. Um, I'm reading a very interesting book, um, have been for the last few weeks, called Culture Making. His, his premise is, is that we as believers have an obligation to impact, not just impact, not just engage, but to actually make culture. I want to read a, just a short paragraph to you that ties into what Jesus and what Paul talks about. He says, The language of worldview tends to imply that we can thank ourselves into new ways of behaving. Unpack that. First of all, the term worldview, most of you probably have heard that. It's just, it's the lenses that we use to, to look at life. So a, a Christian worldview means that I look at life with the understanding that there is a God. He is all-powerful, all-sovereign. That He sent His Son, fully God, fully man, to redeem us because we needed redemption. There are lots of other things that go into that, but that's the basic premise of a Christian worldview I look at life with those presuppositions. That's my basic understanding of the way the world works. And he says, the language of worldview, the language he's talking about Christian worldview, tends to imply that we can think ourselves into new ways of behaving. But that is not the way culture works. Culture helps us behave ourselves into new ways of thinking. The risk in thinking worldviewishly is that we will start to think that the best way to change culture is to analyze it. He's right and he's wrong. And hopefully we'll see that today. 
if, if all we do is think about culture, think about what's wrong with it, think about how my way of doing things is probably better, we're not going to impact it much. But he's, and he's also right that it's easier to behave your way into a new way of thinking. It really is. I, I, can, I can get you to do certain things over and over and over and over again, and it will slowly change the way you think. That's an easy way to... Through the history of the world, dictators have modified behavior that way. They've, they've changed culture. They've gotten people on their sides by forcing people to do certain things over and over and over again until they've kind of bought into it. The idea of acting versus thinking. But what I want to submit to you this morning, and I think what Paul addressed last week and what he addresses this week and what he's going to continue to address through the book of Colossians is, it really is important what you think and what you think about. As we talked about last week, understanding the gospel is what bears fruit. Understanding the gospel is what causes us to grow. There is an easy way to do it, and that's through telling you to behave a certain way. I don't think Scripture speaks to that. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians to take every thought captive. That's why Paul says in, in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by checking your boxes, by making sure that you have your quiet time every day, by making sure that you love your spouse. He doesn't give them a list of do's and don'ts. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, that doesn't mean having a quiet time doesn't help you renew your mind. But if you look at that time in the Word and time in prayer as something to check off, you won't really ultimately be transformed. See, a lot of you grew up in churches where you, you met Christ, you came to love Christ, and then somewhere along the way, people began telling you what you needed to do, how you needed to behave. Your actions were based on man's desire to get you to conform to the image of Christ. Let me say that again. Your actions were based on man's desire to get you to conform to the image of Christ. That's called legalism. Basically, what that is, is I don't trust the Holy Spirit to conform you to the image of Christ. We've got to understand that. Legalism is, I don't trust the Holy Spirit, much less you, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Because, see, outward behavior is what we can see, touch, and feel. And so if I give you things to do, I can say, look, they do this, 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 and this. They've got to be a believer. And if they're doing this, 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 and this, they can't be a believer. Now, if you've been here long enough, you know that as I preached through James, we talked about the importance of 
our behavior. I'm not denying that. That is an important part of what we do. But it's a difficult litmus test. It's a difficult litmus test. For me to look at two people and say, oh, believer, not believer, based solely on what they've done. That's another issue. That's it's discipleship. When I see you doing things that I think don't match up with this, with this book, then I, I want to come alongside you and say, do you understand the gospel? And I think Paul would say, if you understood the gospel, then certain things are going to happen. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in, in verse 9. Because you know what the, the, the root of the problem is? How many of you have seen the movie Up? A lot of people have seen the movie Up. There are some dogs in that movie. And those dogs are easily distracted when they hear the word squirrel. squirrel. That's us. We love Christ. We've come to know Him. We delight in Him. We understand the gospel and it begins to transform us. The gospel does. We bear fruit. We grow. And then all of a sudden someone says squirrel and we we're excited about whatever is shiny and makes noise. And we, we lose track of, of, of our sinner. And Paul knows that. And so we read these words, beginning in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we look at Your Word this morning, I pray that You would open our eyes to the truth that You have for us, that we would understand more deeply the Gospel, Your grace, and that we would leave here with a, a different understanding of, of a proper response to that both in our own lives and in the lives of, of those that we call brothers and sisters in Christ, and how we can minister to them. And I pray that you'd open your word to us, that your spirit would speak to us, and that we would be changed for your glory. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last week we talked about the fact that, that understanding the gospel led to bearing fruit. It led to growing and Paul understands, like Jesus understood, that, that that's difficult. It's hard, to, it's hard to keep focused even for an hour. Especially in, in our culture, there are so many distractions. Some of those things can be good things, right? Our, our family is a good thing, and yet 
Sometimes our family can pull us away from an understanding of grace just they're needy. We, we, and we think we've got all the answers. And so Paul prays because he knows that they need to understand the gospel. Look at verse 9. For this reason, what reason is that? Since the day you heard of it. Oh, since the day you heard of that grace we talked about last week, right? For that reason, because I know you've heard of it, because I know that you've been bearing fruit and growing, I'm praying for you. And at first thought, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But, but Paul, they're being successful. You've heard of how wonderful their faith is. You've heard of the fact that they're loving all the saints. You've heard they're bearing fruit and growing. Well, why would you pray for them? Well, because he knows that life's going to turn around and knock them upside the head very soon if it hasn't already. And they're going to lose sight of the truth of the gospel. They're, they're going to miss something. He knows that when we hear the word squirrel, we're going to turn away. So what does he pray? What's the content of his prayer? We'll look at the end of verse 9. That you may be filled with all knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice all three of those words, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, deal with what goes on up here. Why don't he just give them a to-do list? Hey, guys, I know you started well. So here's what you need to do, right? Make sure, you, make sure you're listening to your preacher every week. Make sure you're praying. Make sure that you're being nice to your neighbor. Make sure you're loving your spouse. Make sure you're taking care of your kids. Why don't you just give them a list? Because he knows if they don't understand and continually think about the truth of the gospel, they're going to veer off the path. But he doesn't, just, he doesn't just pray those things for them, that they would have understanding, that they would have a spiritual insight into what's going on, not just man's. But he, he tells them why he does this. Look at verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then he, and then he gets out his paintbrush and he, and he paints a, a very interesting picture of, of what that looks like. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? So he tells us, he gives us several phrases. Uh, middle of verse 10, to please him in all respects. Not just some respects, but all respects. To please him when you're washing the dishes. To please him when you're eating breakfast in the morning. To please him when you're sitting in church. To please Him when you're mowing the yard. To please Him when you're having a conversation with the neighbor. In all respects. How do you, that seems a little overwhelming, Paul. Really? Is that all respects? Yeah, all respects. That's the goal of His prayer. That's the goal of their understanding the gospel is that they really will please Him in all respects. When they do that, that's walking worthy of the Lord. The next phrase in verse 10 is bearing fruit in every good work. 
Same two words we saw last week, bearing fruit and increasing. Right? It's, it's when you and I, because we understand, not because someone told us we have to check these boxes, when you and I respond to the grace of God, the understanding that someone gave their life for you, the, what that looks like, walking worthy, is that we begin to bear fruit. Like, well, what does that look like? Well, I don't know, Paul talks about in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's one form of bearing fruit. Another form of bearing fruit is, is people see us and they go, and we get a chance to talk to them. They see us differently. We get a chance to talk to them about who our Savior is and they come to know Christ as well. That's bearing fruit. And then notice he says how that happens in verse 11. We're strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. It didn't happen because we try harder. It doesn't happen because we make our list a little longer and check more boxes. It happens because we're strengthened with all might according to His glorious power. It, it reminds me of what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in literally clay pots so that the People look at us, they look at our clay pot and go, why is your pot shining? Clay pots don't shine. Why is it emitting light? Clay pots don't emit light. And they scratch their head and they go, you're just a broken clay pot. How is it that you shine? How is it that you emit light? Because otherwise, we, we, we check all our boxes correctly. We get all of our ducks in a row and, and we think people will see all that I'm doing and they'll be impressed with me. And the point is, we don't want people impressed with us. We want people impressed with our Savior. And so that's how it happens. We, we understand the gospel we, we figure out what grace actually means. We think about who we were and what God has done for us. And we begin to shine because we're transformed by that remarkable, amazing, wonderful truth. And we really should want to hear those words. Dude, why is your pot shining? But that should be our goal in life. For people to come up to us and say, dude, why is your pot shining? And we get a chance to say, let me tell you how that happens. And that happens, he says, the end of verse 11, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Another way of saying that's the proper way to deal with life. Life is tough. Life will beat you up. Life will whack you upside the head. And if you don't have endurance and patience, you're not going to last. Life will eat your lunch. But if you're strengthened with His glorious might, 
You can endure life. You can have patience when it doesn't make any sense, when you're trying to figure out what God is up to and He's quiet. The result of all that, the end of the beginning of verse 12, joyously giving thanks to the Father. See, because we recognize it's not about me. There's, there's no pride involved. God did all of that stuff and therefore I can be joyful and be thankful in my humility because of what He's done for me. How He's allowed me to endure and to be patient. How He's allowed me to be a light into a dark world. How He's allowed this clay pot to shine. So, so he prays because he wants the Colossians and he wants us ultimately to please the Father in all respects. He wants us to bear fruit and grow. He wants us to rely solely on God's strength. He wants us to be joyful, to be thankful. And so he prays for them because he knows that even though it seems right now they're on point, the world's going to holler, squirrel! And we'll get distracted. And we'll forget what we're about. And then Paul does an interesting thing. He, he retells them the gospel. He gives it to them one more time. In verse 12, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's going to give us four things that the Father has done, four works that He's done that we couldn't do on our own. He qualified us to share in the inheritance. Well, how does someone become qualified for an inheritance? Well, they, they become an heir. See, He made us sons and daughters. We were not sons and daughters. We were estranged. We were hopeless and helpless and children of wrath, sons of the devil, all kinds of things the Scripture calls us, and He qualified us. And you know what's amazing about that? It's not like there's just this inheritance up there in heaven, and when I bring someone else, help someone else come into the kingdom, that my share gets a little smaller. There's not this limited inheritance that's going to get divided smaller and smaller as the kingdom grows. It's, it's this infinite, wonderful joy of, of being with Him forever. Of being with one another forever. And He qualified us to do that. Verse 13 gives us two more things that He did. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, without anything else around there, that makes me a little nervous. It's, it's like the... Well, it's, it's, it's like the guy who's finally been caught and the police show up at his house and they grab him and they take him to the courtroom. Right? He, he transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So now we're standing before Christ, the judge, and I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm in trouble. 
See, we often look at, um, you've seen this picture before, right? Probably most of you have seen that picture before on some tract or something where the cross puts a bridge over the chasm and, and then we can walk across to God. It's not exactly how, uh, not a bad picture. It's what, I mean, the cross does make a way for us. I don't mean to disparage the picture, but Scripture says that, that God grabs us by the nape of the neck when we were wallowing in mire and He picked us up and moved us across the chasm. Yes, because of the cross. But it's not like, oh, there's the cross. I can, I'm going to go see God now. We wouldn't have done that. On our own. But we're not just before a judge because of the last line. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. We're we're brought into the courtroom and we stand before the judge and there is no guilty verdict there's, you are forgiven. And the problem is, we refuse to dwell on that wonderful truth. Because we find other things more attractive. Prestige, power, position, possessions, wealth, relationships, addictions, and we refuse to let our gaze remain on the wonder and the glory of Christ. And Paul, Jesus knew that. Paul knows that. And that is why he prays for them. Because he knows just hiding around every corner, there's a box for me to pick up and say, here's my box. I've got to fill it with the right stuff. I've got to do something. And again, I'm going to say the gospel is not about doing something. The gospel is about believing something. When we are transformed by that truth, those actions will follow and it looks nothing like legalism where someone is trying to get you to conform to Christ's image by telling you to do this and don't do that. That's why when you read through the New Testament, you read through the letters, they always talk about the gospel first before they talk about what life is supposed to look like. It's never the other way around. If we don't understand the gospel, it's just a bunch of rules afterwards. And we get frustrated because we don't keep rules very well. Even if we're good, upstanding citizens and we, we look good on the outside, we, none of us keep rules well. But when God grabs your heart and you hold on to that truth, We become transformed and we begin, our pots begin to shine. We begin to change. We begin to just do things differently as a natural reaction to what God has done for us. And it's not easy 
what's easy is for me to give you a list of do's and don'ts and say, here, conform. So you know what I need? I need for every one of you to be praying for me. Because I'm just like those dogs. Squirrel! This is cool. Or I'll get tired. Or I'll get frustrated by life. Or I'll get sad about something and then I don't, I don't I lose focus. You know what else we need? We need for every single one of you in this room to pray for every single other person in this room. Be very blunt. You need, individually, every single one of you, a prayer list that has everybody's name that calls themselves partners of Christ Community Church on it. And you need to be praying for them on a regular basis. That just needs to happen. The problem is, some of you don't know others of you in here that well or at all. And if we really are going to be the body of Christ, if we really are going to be a, a community of believers that, that comes to this table and says we're going to partake together, and yet we don't know each other well enough or even by name to pray for one another, when we come up to this table and we partake as a body, there's something about that that's a little off kilter. Let's be quite honest. The Evangelical Free Church began back in the 1800s when a group of folks were really fed up with this very integral part of their worship. There was a, like everywhere in Europe, the Reformation didn't solve all the problems of the Catholic Church. The Reformation didn't end what we call the state church. In Europe, since Constantine, if you were a member of the state, whatever state that was, you were a member of the church. And if you were a member of the church, you were a member of the state. They were one. So if you were born a citizen, you were born a Christian. And there were a group of people in the northern countries of Europe who, I can't do it. I want to come and fellowship with people that I know are real believers, not just playing. But it was against the law to not be a part of the state church. And so they became the free church. Some of them endured persecution in prison. They became the free church. Because they didn't want to, they, they wanted to know when they walked up here that the people that walked up here with them would, would have their back. Like we talked about last week, Epaphras having their back. He was on their side. They wanted to know that they could trust everybody in that room. And so they began what's called the Free Church, which ultimately became this denomination that we're a part of today. And so, you can get a directory. I'm going to email one to you this week. Everybody in, that's, that I have an email address, if you don't get one, that means I don't have your email address. I'm going to email you a directory. You'll have everybody's name. 
let me challenge you. Let me encourage you. Let me exhort you to begin praying for those people. Just like Paul prayed. You can even use those very words. We need to understand the gospel. We need to be filled with the knowledge of God and all spiritual wisdom and insight. But you know, the other problem with that is if we don't know each other very well, even if, I, even if I have your name and I can pray for you, if I don't know you very well, I don't really know where your real struggles are. I don't know where, I don't know what easily, I don't know what your squirrel is. So let me also challenge you to begin the process, if you don't already, to begin to get to know people that sit in this room with you on a weekly basis a little better. Now, I'm not saying that we all are going to become best friends. We have a limited capacity as human beings to invest deeply in other people's lives. That's just a fact that's been carried out and understood through the ages. That's true. But there's not really a, a good excuse for us not to know each other better. There's really not. That doesn't have to happen instantaneously, but you know, there's about 20 to 25 names in our directory, families, individuals. What if over the course of the next year, you said, once every two weeks, I'm going to do something different with one of those names? I'd even give you a couple of two weeks off. So I'm just going to, here's my list, and maybe it's have them over dinner. Maybe it's inviting them after church to go to the park for a picnic. Maybe it's saying, hey, let's go, I don't know. You're creative. Would you be willing to say, over the course of the next year, I'm going to get to know people in my church a little better so that I can pray for them more healthfully? Is that a word, healthfully? It is now. Because what I want, what I envision, what I desire is when we come to this table together and partake, that you know that everybody else that's partaking with you has your back. Because they know you. Maybe not, I'm not saying they, they're your best friend, but you know they know you. You know they're praying for you. So before we take communion, we're going to do something a little different. We've only sang one song. We're going to do one more at the end. Um, we, some of us are going to pray for you. We'd like for you to pray if you want to as well. We're going to get in four groups. You don't have to move, really. Um, let's see. From Blair up, that row up. And then there's a good dividing line. Bo, you're over here. And I'm going to and I'm going to pray with this group, and and I'll start and I'll finish. And if you want to pray for anybody else here, that's fine. If you just want to anything you want to pray, and through silence, then I'll close. Bo's going to pray for this group back here and with this group. Uh, Chad's going to pray. Let's say Susie and up. That's thin. Andy and up. We'll do that. That work. Andy's row. Right. Tim's row. Up. I mean Jeff's row. Up. I do that all the time. Why is that? They are. <laughs> Jeff's rowing up. And Chad's going to pray for this bunch. And then Pav 
Where'd Pop go? Oh, he's back there. Pop's going to pray with that last row, Lenny's row and, and back, if that makes sense. Um, more than one person can pray at once. It's rather amazing that God can hear all that. Right? Then we're going to take communion together. Then we're going to sing again at the end. So if you feel like praying, you can pray for someone next to you. You can pray John's body. But those, per- me, Bo, Chad, and Pav will start and end. Don't feel required to pray. Don't feel obligated to pray. But if you want to, you can even use Paul's exact words in here or something else. As we pray that we would really understand the gospel. We return now to that meal with Jesus that we started with. Because there were a group of guys who got to sit down and have a meal with him. And during that meal, he did something rather remarkable. God had been in the habit over the course of history of instituting covenants with his people. First with Abraham. A marvelous, unconditional covenant where he said, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then he built a nation. And he brought them out of slavery. And when uh, Moses and the people got to uh, the mountain, he instituted another covenant, not to replace one, but to explain it a little. This one was a, a conditional covenant. Moses, as long as y'all behave yourselves, you get to stay and play in the land. But if you don't, there are consequences. Sometimes we fail to read very closely that the amount of grace that was in that, the desire for them to understand the grace of God as a catalyst for their behavior. But they just looked at the rules and said, yeah, we can do that. And they didn't. And they failed. And then David came along and and God again went back to the covenant with Abraham and he said, David, one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever. And then we come to the time of the New Testament. And in that room with those guys, Jesus, as fully God, instituted yet another covenant. The fulfillment of all the others. The fulfillment reaching back to Abraham. The fulfillment of that blessing. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after blessing, He broke it and gave it to His disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. What's interesting is we we stop there, we don't get to the next part yet. And I wonder if they were, I I don't get that. What do you mean it's your body? I don't understand. We, we've come to understood to understand that, that he meant he was giving his body as sustenance for them. He gave his life. He sacrificed himself that we might have life. And so together we partake of the bread because he asked us to. And because 
We need to partake of Him to have life. We need to understand the gospel to have life. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Son. And I pray that as we partake together, You would nourish us and help us to understand better what You've done for us. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We partake together because we are one body and we celebrate together the fact that God gave His body for us. And then when He had taken a cup and given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink from it all of you for this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so they, they, they heard that term for the first time. Here's a, here's a new covenant. I'm, I'm pouring out something as a promise. It's a covenant. And God keeps His promises. That blood that was shed on the cross was payment for our sins that we when we were transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son there wasn't a guilty verdict it was forgiveness and so we participate together because because we're forgiven and we we do this to remember to remind us that that forgiveness didn't come from our own self-effort it didn't come from checking boxes came from believing the gospel. And so we rejoice together because of what He's done for us. So we rejoice together because in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for thank you for your son, God, who who loved me enough and loved the people in this room enough to give his life that we might have life. So God, we pray as we have been nourished by fellowship, nourished by your spirit, nourished by the reminder of what you've done for us. Help us to go into this world um, with our pots shining. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.